Welcome to Ask an Artist. I'm Peter Keegan. And I'm Laura Boswell. And over there, as ever, we have the talented Mr B on sound. Now, as many of you know, Laura and I are taking a little bit of a break from recording new podcast episodes. But don't worry, we are back with one of our previous episodes because we've delved into the archive of hundreds of episodes to choose some of our favourites and ones that we know some of you would like to hear again. And this week we are choosing the subject of pricing. That really difficult subject. How exactly do you price your work of art? So we're going to be talking about covering your costs, you know, the type of price you'd love to see your work to create one day and, you know, creating a range of prices as well to suit different budgets, aren't we, Laura? We certainly are. And we're also going to discuss how you work out where your place is in the price hierarchy as a starting artist when you when you first get started how do you judge where to pitch your work and also that vexed question about not undercharging for work so that you're not undercutting other artists and devaluing your own work so we'll try and we'll try and put you on the road to sensible pricing in this episode well before we get stuck into that Laura can you start us off by splashing a little bit of welcome color into the podcast I certainly can, Peter. So I love the questions that small children ask me when they find out that I'm an artist. When they come to visit my studio, they're invariably very shy to start with, and then they start getting pushy with the questions. And I've had everything from, are you famous like the Queen? Which, of course, I am, so that's that's easily answered. To, could you squish your hand flat in that printing press? Which they always love because, yes, you could squish your hand quite flat in my printing press. Um, but my one of the most popular things that they ask is, what's your favourite colour? So I kind of cheat with that one. And I always tell them that it's the colour grey because that can be almost all the colours, depending on how you mix it up. And it is true to a certain extent. I do love a grey and I rely on greys a great deal in making my landscape prints. So a good Payne's grey is a really invaluable addition to my palette as a standalone colour and also as the base of mixing in other colours that I describe to the children when I'm answering that tricky question. So Michael Harding's Payne's grey is a blend of ivory black, ultramarine and iron oxide yellow. And it's blue undertones, because Payne's Grey has this kind of lovely blue undertone, is reminiscent of Prussian blue. And that is a colour that's very dear to my heart. And so Michael Harding's Payne's Grey is a real workhorse, both for colour sketching and for my woodblock printing. And I guess in a way that my answer to that question is true. Michael Harding's Payne's Grey is one of my favourite colours. It is great. I mean, it's, I have to admit, it's a colour I don't use, but I know it's one that you love. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to bite the bullet and encourage Michael to send me a tube so I can have a little play. And of course, if I need to do that, I just need to go to his website where you'll be able to find a retailer near you and just simply click at michaelharding.co.uk. So now we've had our colour fix. Let's get our teeth into that tricky subject of pricing your artwork. Hi, I'm Laura Boswell. And I'm Peter Keegan, and there's the talented Mr B on sound. So, do you want to take the leap and become a working artist? The sort that actually gets to make art and pay the bills at the same time? We're both that sort of artist, and we'll help you become one too. So imagine this, Laura. 
You've spent hours of time working on your latest creation. You've spent money on all those tools and materials, not to mention the years of practice, practice, practice. Oh, yes. How on earth do you put a price on that work of art? Today, we're talking about pricing your work and discussing the important points needed in making selling art more than just your hobby. Oh, no. Talking about money. I know. We're, we're, we're get... British. Oh, we don't do that. We don't talk about money. No, <laughs> yes, it's, it's always it's a bit of an embarrassing far topic. It's too embarrassing to talk about what we, how much we're worth and what, how much we put a value on something. I know, but we're going to have to grit our teeth, Peter, and yeah. talk this one through. It is... Of, of of many of the of all the questions, this comes up in the I'd say the top three. Yeah, pricing. I think it does. When I when I get approached by sort of artists that emerge and they said, "Well, how do I price it? Where do you even begin? You know, do you put it straight in the thousands or do you put it at fifty pounds?" It is such a wide playing field with so many artists doing different things and pricing their work at different levels. It's it can yeah. be very daunting. Where so, to begin. Peter, how did you start putting a price on your work? So I started obviously quite young uh, as an artist. Mm-hmm. So I was I was aware that I couldn't put thousands of pounds on it because I was because I was a young emerging artist. I was still sort of finding my way, but I was aware that I needed to you know needed to cover the materials. I mean, at, at, mm-hmm. at the very basic level, mm-hmm. any money that I made on selling up just funded buying more paint, buying more canvas, you know, in that respect. Sure, sure. Um, and it, it was the, that's when it was still my sort of my hobby job, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think but I'm, this was when you were at college, wasn't it? You yeah, yeah, I saying, started. Did you get any help from the college about this? Not really, no. They didn't sort of necessarily guide you. I think the, mm. one of the galleries I worked in sort of guided a little bit. Um, but I, I mean, I, th- I think the first picture I sold, it was a portrait of two children. It was £80, pounds, you know, mm. as the first thing, which looking back now is just sort of laughable. But at the same time, you have to start somewhere and it's but better then, to start sort of small and grow. To be fair... If you're employing a student to paint a picture, you're not going to expect to pay the same as yeah, an established professional with a career. Yeah, no, that is true. That is true. But, so it's pitching it. But I was conscious and careful, you know, not to be exploited because there could be people out there that would identify you as being very cheap and expect you to do way too mm. much than for what you're worth. So you do have to be careful. But I think, how, I mean, how did you do it? How did you find that minefield when you first started of pricing well, it, your work? It is very difficult. I think what I did was to be very practical about it. Mm. I started looking around me at people who were at my level mm. in terms of how much experience and how long we've been selling work and people who are working in uh, printmakers in the similar field and look at what they're charging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a much As more a sensible approach than what I did. Benchmark figure. I, I was almost plucking numbers. Just, yeah. you know, and I was round numbers, you know, yeah. £100 sounded like a nice number. I think your way, where you but started was much better. But to look. I mean, that's where Open Studios comes in very useful um, and art fairs, things like that. And you can do it while you're doing your research. I think in, in other episodes, we've talked about how to do Open Studios and art fairs and things like that. And part of your research should be looking at your peers, what they're charging, yeah. what the market's buying, what yeah. they're paying for for work. It's what I do now is, you know, it, in hindsight, when I started being sort of aware, I suppose, of the artistic mm. market, mm. Um, when I was visiting galleries, I was looking at these prices and I was looking at some artists that were demanding incredibly high prices mm. and artists that I suppose I felt were more, I suppose, on my level or as emerging yeah, artists. That's a really and then good I was point, like, oh, okay, so I'm looking at that sort of price. I suppose. Mm. What I was doing is I was identifying my comparison, my contemporary, and 
that was a goal. That sort of mm. that was the first benchmark. Well, if I can hit that, that's a starting point. Well, you work yeah. from there. I mean, it's important because it's important to be careful because you're work, walking a bit of a tightrope mm. because you need to pitch it at the right level for your experience but you're also needing to cover costs and things like yeah. that as well so when considering pricing it's important to look at it almost from a spreadsheet point of view mm. and ask yourself what exactly is this price going to cover because it needs to cover not just the art i'm doing sort of little bunny rabbit ears there it's not just the art it needs to cover the materials for example yeah. you know are you if you're working in gold and silver your materials costs are going to be a lot bigger than if you're just sort of you know picking things off the beach and that found materials are there presentation costs like framing you know sometimes people don't realize the cost of a framed uh, work of art on the wall sometimes a quarter to a third of that price sometimes half is actually they're paying for the frame they're not paying for the art at all and then of course there's commission isn't there in galleries because galleries take all sorts of different types of commission that's often a big shock to people starting out is quite how much is taken by the gallery um in a future episode uh we've got a really interesting gallerist lined up to interview mm. and we'll go further into why galleries will take anything up to 50 yeah. percent of the sales so that you know you've got a bit if, if half that price is actually mm. not going to you what are you left with and you have to ask is that fair do you think that's mm-hmm. fair and valuable to your time and experience and also i mean can you make a living out of that how many of those would you need to sell um think of things about uh, thinking about a bit of a discount if you like sometimes when people buy multiple works you might want to say well you know if if it if they want to buy another one if you give them a little bit of a discount that might tip the balance they might buy it but can you afford to give them that discount sometimes galleries do require or ask for a little bit of wiggle room just to help that sale go through but you can't give that discount if it's not yes you really it. need to start thinking about these i mean i think it's sometimes it's a good idea just to get yourself a piece of paper and write down all these considerations and do a few sums mm. i think all too often i mean i've seen people arrive at art fairs and shows and they're literally making up the prices <laughs> as the show is yeah. opening mm. and that's never very good you need to get your pricing worked out because that way you can evaluate it and you can increase it as you develop and as your reputation grows in a logical and sensible way. So I think it's therefore important that you don't underprice or indeed overprice because that could put you in quite a difficult situation if you're working you know, if you're selling with a group of artists and you're massively cheaper than everybody yes. else, yeah. it's not going to hold you in a very good light. And potentially those other artists won't thank you for doing that either. No, I, I've i been at shows where, where people have done that and the hostility is palpable for yeah. one thing. It won't, the organisers won't like it. And um, it's a very good way of alienating your network. But also people who are buying a piece of art want to walk away feeling that they've got something of value. Mm. If you underprice your work, then the public will undervalue it. Yeah, it sounds sort of counterintuitive because we're all trained that everybody loves a bargain. Mm. But actually people want to feel they've invested in you. Yeah. I'm not suggesting you charge a high price, you charge a fair price. Mm. That's the point. Um so that when people buy a piece of art, they they feel that there's worth there. And I think you that needs to be met with confidence from you as the artist. You need yes, to be confident. So we're going back to again to that, that 
rehearse yeah. and think about the scenario when you're selling. You've got to be proud You've to say You've got to believe this. those yeah, yeah, you absolutely yeah. have to believe. You have to be, this is this, and I can justify why I'm charging this. And that may put people off because yeah. they can't afford it, and, and that's fine. But at least they'll respect you and understand, well, this is why you're charging. Well, I'll tell you a little trick that I started when I was first starting out. And believe me, I'm very shy about talking about money. That's, that's not something <laughs> I'm very good at. But I came up with this stock phrase. If I was challenged about, well, this is, seems like the wrong price. I used to say to people, well, I find people who collect my work are very happy with my pricing. <laughs> collect, I like yeah, that. I, I, know, just I, know, I mean, it's the fact it was my mum, that didn't have to come into it. <laughs> but if you say, or um, I have a friend who sells textiles and she says to people, I've discussed my prices with my stockists mm. and I feel very content that they're fair. And it's it's just having something like that to say that mm. you know you've got you can bring out. Mm. It stops you sort of going red and stuttering and sounding nervous. Yeah, yeah. So you know nothing. There's nothing wrong with having a little reply like that to bring out yeah, if you yeah. feel caught out. And also is but wherever your artwork is being showcased is I think it's it's a safe comment to say to be aware of the market yes you know if you're selling in london it's very different from selling outside of london because yeah. of the prices and the people and, and the money but that's you walking can't, in. yes on, that's, i was going to say but you can't charge different prices no this is a huge thing for, that you know most artists learn very early on if if they haven't they need to is that you've got to be consistent in your pricing you cannot sell in one place for one price and very different in other. I mean, it's, I mean, I just think, what if the shoe was on the other foot in that? If I went into a shop and bought something and I was really pleased and I went into the shop next door and the same item was there, but so much cheaper, I'd be really annoyed. I just thought, well, hang well, on a minute. Well, people find out as well today, everything's on the internet. It's very easy to yeah, look at prices yeah, and things like that. And people will find out. But you, And you need to cost that in because, of course, mm. there are so many different ways of selling, some of which there may be commission yeah. of sale and some there might be no commission of sale, but you still have to keep that consistent. Well, I should say, yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out that professional galleries expect that from an artist. Yes. They do not expect you to oh, undercut no, them. no, 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 no. And if you do and they find out about it then you will very quickly find you don't get into galleries. Mm. Your reputation will not be a good one. So have you had an example where someone has tried to buy one of your works and sort of cut out that middleman? They've come directly to you instead of, you know, going for the gallery or a dealer or something. Yes, I do. From time to time, uh, it'll happen that you have an exhibition. Someone will see a work that they really like and they'll come to you directly. Mm. Um, I really value my relationships with galleries. So if I know they've come from having seen something at an exhibition, I will always push them back to that gallery. Oh, right. And I do know a gallerist who found out that he was exhibiting somebody's work and then found out that they were selling on the quiet uh, at a lower price. Oh, dear. And when they came round to the gallery, he said, right, well, you can take your work off the wall. (laughs) And the guy said, but I haven't got room in my car. And he said, that's fine. It'll be stacked on the pavement outside (laughs) while you go and get your car. Like, it just goes to show it's professionalism. It's always back to you've got to be consistent. You've got to be professional and and treat others how you'd expect to be treated as well. Um, I've, I've, I've sort of had similar situations where kind of people have, uh, seen me at an art fair and then, um, and I've, I've usually, because my work is based on, I'm commissioned portrait artist. So sometimes if I'm at an art fair, 
quite often a lot of the paintings are not for sale but yeah. I'm selling myself as you know I'm a commission mm. portrait artist so I have an arrangement that if I do pick up a commission portrait I will then pay some commission back afterwards sort of you know quite often sometimes months or years after that event has happened and I feel a lot fairer to that uh, arrangement and of course then I get invited back and it yes, maintains that thing, healthy relationship it? whereas it's, otherwise it's they give me a free platform I'm benefiting and, and they're not but I think that's the the point about being fair is it's not always all about the money because if you just look at the bottom line you lose out on opportunities it may not be good for your reputation you have to look at the whole package of your profession as a working artist mm. And the more transparent about the prices you charge and the more consistent you are, the mm. more you'll be trusted yeah, and the yeah. more opportunities will arise. Yeah. I was very conscious relatively early on to have a bit of a plan. And I don't want to say a financial plan because that sounds way too <laughs> important no, no, and, and way it. too complicated. <laughs> but I was sort of aware that if I'm going to be an artist, if I'm going to be doing this for hopefully, mm. you know, a, a good period of time, hopefully mm. for the rest of my life, I've got to grow that. And I can't just sort of immediately put my prices now at several thousand pounds and then continue painting for another 20, 30, 40 years. I, I won't be able to grow that realistically. No. So I've kind of priced mine at a point where I know that it can grow steadily as I sort of develop and get better because of the time in which I hopefully got to grow. And I don't know if you do this, but I review my pricing every year. I kind of look at, right, what, yes, have I, what, yes. what am I charging this year? And I ask yeah. myself, well, do I need to increase it by, you know, £50, £100 you or whatever? kind of also look at what the economy is doing as well. You can't just yeah, say, oh, I'm going to grow by X percentage each year mm. if we're in the middle of a recession and nobody, yeah, nobody needs to buy a picture. It's completely pointless. It's completely pointless, <laughs> but... That's that's the, that's the economy we're working on, aren't it? Yeah, we're yeah. selling pointless luxury we're, goods. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I think we're, we're what, the way I look at selling art is it's something that will bring you that dopamine hit yeah. without any kind of drugs or any kind of side effects. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, if you're increasing your money, uh, your the price of your work. Your your followers and buyers will, will be proud that you're kind of you know you're yeah I think people look yes it's it's people look for an artist to grow both in yeah. reputation and value yeah you become collectible so, you know yeah. people discovered you, you know, I like a few people say oh, I discovered him early on you know his earlier work and they're enjoying and was watching their work on the wall maybe appreciating value well I I had a lady who came up to me once and she said that she'd bought a work um, fairly early on in my career. But now I was becoming very expensive. And her husband turned around to her and said, well, think about it this way. If you'd started a job as an office boy and now you were an executive, would you expect to be getting the same salary? Mm. And that I thought, well, thank you for stepping in, first of all. But that's a very valid point. You are gaining in experience, gaining in reputation, and it's like any other job. Yeah, You become more valued. And I think... You know, an artist and a maker, we have, you know, don't to glorify, but we have a skill. There's a craftsmanship Mm. to what we Mm. do, whether it is printing, painting, textiles Mm. or whatever. And I think that should be valued. You know, I think other cultures sort of do this a lot better. I think in Mm. Japan, they kind of value that so so much more sometimes. I think um, in Japan, there's possibly more appreciation into the time it takes to become expert. So if you're buying something that's, um, made by an artist or a craftsman, you're 
you're paying for all that experience and they kind of right. understand that. Which I think makes perfect sense. It does. I think it's very yeah. fair, isn't yeah. it? All yeah. that wisdom and time mm. and accumulated knowledge. It's, I mean, you kind of get it in people on executive boards and uh, people who are, um, you know, giving advice sort of later mm. on in their career because they've got all that experience and wisdom. And I think the same goes for, mm. you know, in the creative practice as well. So if I can just drag it back to our first point about working out um, pricing for your work. When you have worked out those prices that, and you are exhibiting to the public, you have to stand by them. You have to be confident that once you've decided what you're going to price your work, don't apologize no, for it. No, don't, you can't doubt yourself, you no. know, otherwise they'll question it. Well, if you're, if you're not sure of it, why should they be sure of it? Absolutely. And, um, that is something that takes a bit of practice, but you have to do it. You have to kind of face the fact that you have to get over your embarrassment or yeah. awkwardness because if you doubt the price, if you sound nervous about the price that you're charging, you're really going to throw the person buying your art. So, Peter, what's the takeaway for this week? So it's important to know exactly what you are covering in your art. It needs to pay not just for your art, but everything else that goes with it as well. Keep your pricing fair and keep it consistent. You can't sell your work at different prices in different places. And what's your long-term plan? How are you going to grow your pricing with the growth of your art? Thanks, Peter. And thank you for listening. You can catch up with the stuff we've covered during this episode in our show notes at askanartistpodcast.com. So please, could you help the show along with a five-star review? They really do make the difference between sink or swim for us. 